0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Democracy in America, Volume 1, by Alexis de Tocqueville, translated by Henry Reeve. Chapter 18, Part 2. Future Condition of Three Races. These are great evils, and it must be added that they appear to me to be irremediable. I believe that the Indian nations of North America are doomed to perish, and that whenever the Europeans shall be established in the shores of the Pacific Ocean, that race of men will be no more. The Indian had only two alternatives of war or civilization. In other words, they must either have destroyed the Europeans or become their equals. At the first settlement of the colonies, they might have found it possible, by uniting their forces to deliver themselves from the small bodies of strangers who landed on their continent. They several times attempted to do it and were on the point of succeeding, but the disproportion of their resources at the present day when compared with those of the whites is too great to allow such an enterprise to be thought of. Nevertheless, there do arise from time to time among the Indian men of penetration who foresee the final destiny which awaits the native population and who exert themselves to unite all the tribes in common hostility to the Europeans, but their efforts are unavailing. Those tribes which are in the neighborhood of the whites are too much weakened to offer an effectual resistance whilst the others giving way to that childish carelessness of the morrow which characterizes savage life wait for the near approach of danger before they prepare to meet it some are unable the others are unwilling to exert themselves it is easy to foresee that the Indians will never conform to civilization or that it will be too late whenever they may be inclined to make the experiment. Civilization is the result of a long social process which takes place in the same spot and is handed down from one generation to another, each one profiting by the experience of the last. Of all nations, those submit to civilization with the most difficulty which habitually live by the chase. Pastoral tribes indeed often change their place of abode, but they follow a regular order in their migrations and often return again to their old stations whilst the dwelling of the hunter varies with that of the animal he pursues. Several attempts have been made to diffuse knowledge among the Indians without controlling their wandering propensities by the Jesuits in Canada and by the Puritans in New England, but none of these endeavours were crowned by any lasting success. Civilization began in the cabin, but it soon retired to expire in the woods. The great error of these legislators of the indians was their not understanding that in order to succeed in civilizing a people it is first necessary to fix it which cannot be done without inducing it to cultivate the soil the indians ought in the first place to have been accustomed to agriculture but not only are they destitute of this indispensable preliminary to civilization they would even have great difficulty in acquiring it men who have once abandoned themselves to the restless and adventurous life of the hunter feel an insurmountable disgust for the constant and regular labour which tillage requires. We see this proved in the bosom of our own society, but it is far more visible among people whose partiality for the chase is part of their national character. Independently of this general difficulty, there is another which applies peculiarly to the Indians. They consider labour not merely as an evil, but as a disgrace, so their pride prevents them from becoming civilised as much as their indolence. There is no Indian so wretched as not to retain under his hut of bark a lofty idea of his personal worth. He considers the cares of industry and labour as degrading occupations. He compares the husbandman to the ox which traces the furrow. And even in our most ingenious handicraft, he can see nothing but the labour of slaves. Not that he is devoid of admiration for the power and intellectual greatness of the whites, but although the results of our efforts surprise him, He contemns means by which we obtain it, and while he acknowledges our ascendancy, he still believes in his superiority. War and hunting are the only pursuits which appear to him worthy to be the occupations of a man. The Indian, in the dreary solitude of his woods, cherishes the same ideas, the same opinions as the noble of the Middle Ages in his castle, and he only requires to become a conqueror to complete the resemblance. Thus, however strange it may seem, it is in the forests of the New World, and not amongst the Europeans who people its coasts, that the ancient prejudices of Europe are still in existence. More than once in the course of this work, I have endeavoured to explain the prodigious influence which the social condition appears to exercise upon the laws and the manners of men, and I beg to add a few words on the same subject. When I perceive the resemblance which exists between the political institutions of our ancestors, the Germans, and the wandering tribes of North America, between the customs described by Tacticus, and those of which I have sometimes been a witness, I cannot help thinking that the same cause has brought the same results in both hemispheres, and that in the midst of the apparent diversity of human affairs, a certain number of primary facts may be discovered, from which all the others are derived. In what we usually call the German institutions, then I am inclined only to perceive barbarian habits and the opinions of savages in what we style feudal principles. However strongly the vices and prejudices of the North American Indians may be opposed to their becoming agricultural and civilised, necessity sometimes obliges them to it. Several of the southern nations, and amongst other the Cherokees and the Creeks, were surrounded by Europeans who had landed on the shores of the Atlantic, And who either descending the ohio or proceeding up the mississippi arrive simultaneously upon their borders these tribes have not been driven from place to place like their northern brethren but they have been gradually enclosed within narrow limits like the game within the thicket before the huntsmen plunge into the interior the indians who were thus placed between civilization and death found themselves obliged to live by ignominious labor like the whites they took to agriculture and without entirely forsaking their old habits or manners, sacrificed only as much as was necessary to their existence. The Cherokees went further. They created a written language, established a permanent form of government, and as everything proceeds rapidly in the New World, before they had all of them close, they set up a newspaper. The growth of European habits has been remarkably accelerated among these Indians by the mixed race which has sprung up. Deriving intelligence from their father's side without entirely losing the savage custom of the mother, the half blood forms the natural link between civilization and barbarism. Wherever this race has multiplied, the savage state has become modified, and a great change has taken place in the manners of the people. The success of the Cherokees proves that the Indians are capable of civilization, but it does not prove that they will succeed in it. This difficulty, which the Indians find in submitting to civilization, proceeds from the influence of a general cause which it is almost impossible for them to escape. An attentive survey of history demonstrates that, in general, barbarous nations have raised themselves to civilization by degrees and by their own efforts. Whenever they derive knowledge from a foreign people, they stood towards it in the relation of conquerors and not of a conquered nation. When the conquered nation is enlightened and the conquerors are half-savage, as in the case of the invasion of Rome by the northern nations, or that of China by the Mongols, the power which victory bestows upon the barbarian is sufficient to keep up his importance among civilised men and permit him to rank as their equal until he becomes their rival. The one has might in his side, the other has intelligence. The former admires the knowledge and the arts of the conquered, the latter envies the power of the conquerors. The barbarians at length admit civilised men into their palaces and he turns open his skills to the barbarians. But when the side on which the physical force lies also possesses an intellectual preponderance, the conquered party seldom becomes civilised. It retreats or is destroyed. It may therefore be said in a general way that savages go forth in arms to seek knowledge, but that they do not receive it when it comes to them. And to gain the bread which nourishes him by hard and ignoble labour, such are in his eyes the only results which civilization can boast. And even this much he is not sure to obtain. When the Indians undertake to imitate their European neighbours and to till the earth like the settlers, they are immediately exposed to a very formidable competition. The white man is skilled in the craft of agriculture. The Indian is a rough beginner in an art with which he is unacquainted. The former reaps abundant crops without difficulty. The latter meets with a thousand obstacles in raising the fruits of the earth. The European is placed amongst a population whose wants he knows and partakes. The savage is isolated in the midst of a hostile people, with whose manners, language and laws he is imperfectly acquainted, but without whose assistance he cannot live. He can only procure the materials of comfort by bartering his commodities against the goods of the European, for the assistance of his countrymen is wholly insufficient to supply his wants. When the Indian wishes to sell the produce of his labour, he cannot always meet with a purchaser, whilst a European readily finds a market, and the former can only produce at a considerable cost that which the latter vends at a very low rate. Thus the Indian has no sooner escaped those evils to which barbarous nations are exposed than he is subjected to the still greater miseries of civilised communities, and he finds it scarcely less difficult to live in the midst of our abundance than in the depths of his own wilderness. He has not yet lost the habits of his erratic life, the traditions of his fathers and his passion for the chase are still alive within him. The wild enjoyments which formerly animated him in the woods painfully excite his troubled imagination, and his former privations appear to be less king, his former perils less appalling. He contrasts the independence which he possessed among his equals with the servile position which he occupies in civilized society. On the other hand, the solitudes which were so long his free home are still at hand, few hours march will bring them back to him once more the whites offer him a sum which seems to be considerable for the ground which he has begun to clear this money of the europeans might possibly furnish him with the means of a happy and peaceful subsistence in remoter regions and he quits supply resumes his native arms and returns to the wilderness forever the condition of the creeks and the cherokees to which i have already alluded sufficiently corroborates the truth of this deplorable picture I myself saw in Canada, where the intellectual difference between the two races is less striking, that the English are the masters of commerce and manufacture in the Canadian country, that they spread on all sides and confine the French within limits which scarcely suffice to contain them. In like manner, in Louisiana, almost all activity in commerce and manufacture centres in the hands of the Anglo-Americans. But the case of Texas is still more striking. The state of Texas is a part of Mexico. And lies upon the frontier between that country and the united states in the course of the last few years the anglo-americans have penetrated into this province which is still thinly peopled they purchase land they produce the commodities of the country and supplant the original population it may easily be foreseen that if mexico takes no steps to check this change the province of texas will very shortly cease to belong to that government if the different degrees comparatively so slight which exist in European civilization produce a result of such magnitude, the consequences which must ensue from the collision of the most perfect European civilization with Indian savages may readily be conceived. The Indians, in the little which they have done, have unquestionably displayed as much natural genius as the peoples of Europe in their most important designs, but nations as well as men require time to learn, whatever may be their intelligence and their zeal. Whilst the savages were engaged in the work of civilization, the Europeans continued to surround them on every side and to confine them within narrower limits. The two races gradually met, and they are now in immediate juxtaposition to each other. The Indian is already superior to his barbarous parent, but he is still very far below his white neighbour. With their resources and acquired knowledge, the Europeans soon appropriated to themselves most of the advantages which the natives might have derived from the possession of the soil. They have settled on the country, they have purchased land at a very low rate, or have occupied it by force, and the Indians have been ruined by a competition which they had not the means of resisting. They were isolated in their own country, and their race only constituted a colony of troublesome aliens in the midst of numerous and domineering people. Washington said in one of his messages to Congress, We are more enlightened and more powerful than the Indian nations. We are therefore bound in honour to treat them with kindness and even with generosity. But this virtuous and high-minded policy has not been followed the rapacity of the settlers is usually backed by the tyranny of the government although the cherokees and the creeks are established upon the territory which they inhabit before the settlement of the europeans and although the americans have frequently treated with them as foreign nations the surrounding states have not consented to acknowledge them as independent peoples and attempts have been made to subject these children of the woods to anglo-american magistrates laws and customs Destitution had driven these unfortunate Indians to civilization, and oppression now drives them back to their former condition. Many of them abandon the soil which they had begun to clear and return to their savage course of life. End of chapter eighteen, part two.